January 2017, I'd be like cool, calm, relaxed, you know, stressed, uh, stress-free, and just ready to tackle the year with renewed passion. But surprisingly, I was super stressed. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's going on? And as the year and the months kind of went on, uh, things started piling up. The first thing that happened was like at the end of January, um, I was working at this church and my boss just like randomly just decided to drop into my office unexpected. And he started talking to me about how I wasn't meeting expectations, which for me was somewhat uh, coming out of nowhere because in my perspective, I thought I was meeting expectations. The second thing that happened was uh, the different plans and stuff that I had weren't really working out fully for the ministry and we had to like kind of re-engage and so that was adding to my stress. And not only that, I realized really quickly that as things started to build up, I was slowly creeping into doubt around my calling, around what I was doing, around uh, what we were supposed to do as a ministry moving forward. But like most people, I didn't deal with it. I didn't try to look deeper into what was going on uh, under the surface. And so all of this kind of came out through different ways, through different signs. And one of, the, one of the ways that it came out that I realized that there was something really wrong with me was uh, there was this one Saturday, I can remember in this season in early 2017, when the kids were gone, Nicole was gone uh, somewhere, and I was by myself alone in the house. So I decided uh, it was a weekend, I'd just watch a TV show and just try to, you know, um, relax, I guess. And so I was watching the show, This Is Us. Has anybody seen This Is Us? Yeah? So I was watching the show, This Is Us, okay? Just a normal TV show, uh, not really into it, somewhat half paying attention. And then the scene comes on, the scene kind of sad, and all of a sudden it like strikes a chord with me. And sure, the show is relatable to me. I'm a father of four, right? So you can see how that show might relate to me. But unexpectedly, I just started weeping, like crying, like deep sobbing at this scene. And what I realized in that moment that it was touching on something inside of me emotionally that wasn't right. But again, what did I do? I just pushed it down. I just like ignored it. And I kept going on. And this all culminated to this one moment on a Friday night. We were sitting around the table, having dinner as a family, trying to relax, it, eating a little Caesar's pizza. I was just trying to enjoy my kids. Where all of a sudden, my heart started beating really quickly. I started getting lightheaded. My face started twitching. And I was somewhat not sure what was going on. I looked at my wife across the table and I'm like, hey, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. And because we didn't have any clue what was going on, she just called the ambulance. The ambulance came. I got in the ambulance and it was the weirdest ride to the hospital because as the ambulance took off from my house, slowly my body started self-regulating. I started calming down. And as they monitored my vitals and, you know, took my blood pressure and all that stuff, by the time we got to the hospital, they're like, hey, I don't think there's anything really wrong with you, but we'll keep you in the ER for a little bit and just monitor you for maybe an hour and then we'll send you home. That day, as I walked out of the hospital, I realized for the first time in my life that I just suffered a panic attack. A lot of us in this room have probably had similar experiences, you know, anxious thoughts, panic attacks, worry, 
especially in the last couple of years. And I say that because of one study that came out uh, ever since March 2020. It says that around the world, the prevalence of anxiety and depression has gone up about 25%. 25%. And so a lot of us in this room at some point in time have probably experienced anxiety in our lives to some degree. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. You're looking for a solution. And I share my story and my journey with dealing with anxiety first and foremost so that you understand that you're not alone. You're not alone. You know, if you're facing crippling anxiety in this moment, uh, you're not crazy. You're not alone. There's a lot of people in this world that are going through the same thing, me being one of them. And what I want to do is to make sure, see the enemy loves to isolate us and elevate our struggles as being unique and unrelatable. But as Kelly just read for us, even the Bible talks about anxiety. Why? Because God knows that as human beings, we're going to have to deal with it. We're going to have to figure out a way to overcome anxiety and worry in our lives. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. But here's what I want to do this morning. And I want to set the stage for what we're about to talk about. I don't want you to hear me talking about anxiety uh, uh, up here this morning and to walk away thinking that I am trying to oversimplify this big issue, this real issue in a lot of people's lives, okay? Anxiety is a, a, a big thing that we have to tackle as human beings. Anxiety and its relatives, panic, worry, fear, dread are all complex, okay? They uh, come, uh, they deal with your spiritual, mental, physical, and sometimes uh, they can be genetic, a uh, thing that you're dealing with as a human being, right? Sometimes having to do with the circumstance that you're in. I know that there are anxiety disorders, issues involving the nervous system, right? Clinical anxiety that requires medication. So I don't want you to think that I'm just up here spouting off some nice religious platitudes saying that you just need to be mentally stronger at the end of this talk, okay? And I say all this knowing that my uh, wife, who was playing the piano just a couple minutes ago, she suffers from just these random panic attacks still to this day. They started when uh, she got on this flight and all of a sudden she had a panic attack as they were saying to, you know, seatbelt in, get ready for takeoff. And she just had to get out of her seat and just walk the aisle. And the flight attendant was like, what are you doing? We're about to take off. You got to sit down. She's like, I'm having a panic attack. So this is something she deals with on the daily. But what she had to do was she needed to take medication to deal with this anxiety that she's dealing with. So I know that for some of you in the room this morning, that might be your journey. That might be your journey to deal with anxiety that you are facing. Each person's struggle is unique. And I'm not trying to give you a one size fits all approach. And I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert. And even though I can't prescribe to you anything this morning, I can describe what God did in my own life and what I believe he can do in your life also. So what does the Bible say about anxiety? How does the Bible define anxiety okay this definition does not reflect like a therapeutic or psychological approach to this this is first and foremost 
particularly what scripture says about anxiety, how it defines it, okay? Anxiety is one evidence that we live in a fallen world, a world infected by sin. Our struggle with worry and anxiety, those are two words that the Bible uses interchangeably, are part of the human condition that we live in. That's why Paul says in uh, Philippians 4, 6a, do not be anxious for anything. This is Paul, a hero of our faith, stuck in prison, probably dealing with worry of some sort, like, am I going to ever get out of this situation? Saying to us, saying to the church at Philippi, do not be anxious for anything. Or as Kelly read in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In the original Greek, this, this word that Paul uses, uh, do not be anxious for anything, it can be uh, uh, translated two ways, okay? And this is what I want to help you understand as we delve into this. There's a way that's used in the Bible, okay, that means concern. And that's not what I'm talking about this morning. See, it's okay to have concern for your kid when they break your, their arm, right? It's okay to have uh, concern for m- yourself, when maybe you come across some sort of pain and you think it might be a serious thing. What the Bible is talking about, what Peter is talking about, is anxiety and worry built about something that hasn't happened, something that could happen, or something in your past that has happened that you had no control over. What Peter talks about in the original language, in the Greek, this word used anxiety means to divide or to pull apart. That's what happens to our hearts when we're dealing with anxious thoughts or worry. We're being pulled to pieces and there's no peace that we enjoy in this moment. Our hearts are being busy, pulled to pieces by worry. So here's the question as we move into this. These are some things to help you to understand and assess if you're dealing with anxiety and worry or just concern, okay? Here's a question. What or who is pulling you apart, pulling at your peace of mind? What situation or fear or potential outcome is making you feel like you need to maybe manage or control things? Is there a situation in your past you have no control over or a situation in your future that you're ruminating about, that you're worrying about? In its simplest form, the Bible talks about anxiety as fear. It's fear. At the root of it, it's fear. But this is what I love about the Bible, and we're going to end on in a couple seconds. It gives us solutions. It gives us solutions, even as Peter says, to deal with this anxiety. And as we start, I want to start with hope. No matter who you are in this moment and what you're dealing with, right? Be it a health issue, be it the lack of a job, be it your kid running away and not uh, wanting to follow Jesus when it comes to their life or rebelling against you, when it comes to the stresses and troubles that you're dealing with, maybe in your marriage or whatever that relationship is, there is hope. There's hope for your worries. There's hope for the anxiety. There's hope for the things that are pulling you apart and stealing your peace. And the practical thing I want to share with you that God showed me back in 2017 is this spiritual practice. It's this ancient spiritual practice that helps us deal with our anxiety and worry. And it's this practice called silence and solitude. This ancient practice, uh, we even see Jesus practice here in the book of Mark. Let's read this passage just one more time. 
uh, together to refresh our memories, okay? Mark 1, 35. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. If you're like me and you like to sleep in, you already don't like where this is going. But Jesus got up, he left his house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Uh, November 2016, right before this uh, season of anxiety and uh, worry that I was facing in my own life, uh, I got to lead a mission trip to Haiti. And the thing was, it was a really fun trip. It was the first trip that I got to lead. And we went to this really rural village in the jungle of uh, Susaban in Haiti. It's this uh, village there. And uh, knowing that we were going to probably meet a lot of unusual things, uh, a lot of u- unusual noises, I went to Walmart to prepare for this trip. And I got a bag of earplugs so that I would just like, you know, sleep like a baby. And I remember after the four, first morning uh, while we were there in this village in Haiti, like around the breakfast table, all the young adults were talking about all the different noises that they heard, like dogs barking, weird animals, bugs, right? One of the things that we were warned of was to watch out for tarantulas under your bed because they were just like all over this compound that we were staying at. So all these things led to none of these young adults getting a wink of sleep. But there I was with my earplugs and I slept like a baby. Why? Because I was leading this trip and I knew that one of the things that we need to properly function as human beings is sleep, right? And so knowing that, I came prepared, but that's the thing. We can all agree that when it comes to functioning properly, there's natural rhythms like sleep that we need as human beings, right? Why? Because we're humans. We're not machines. And because of that, there are natural rhythms that we're meant to follow in order to live life the way that it was designed to be lived. One of those natural rhythms is also the rhythm of silence. Silence and noise community, and solitude. It's unhealthy to always be around people. At the same time, it's unhealthy to rarely be around people, right? We need both. In the same way that noise disrupts our sleep, constant noise can distract us from being present, experiencing life to the full. As as Christians, Constant noise can distract us from understanding and becoming aware of the presence of God with us, how he's leading us in a moment. I don't have to convince you that we live in a noisy, chaotic culture where everything nowadays is vying for our attention, right? So much so that it's become so normal to our culture that we can't even understand that like the toxic patterns that we are entrapped in or lured into. The 21st century is a high-tech world, some say, full of anxiety. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to become aware of the costs. One author by the name of Don Whitney in his book about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, like I like to call them, he says this, one of the costs of technological advancement is this, is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. And so many of us need to realize he says that we have this addiction to noise, right? 
the easiest uh, uh, example of that is whenever I'm standing in a line, right? Be it whatever, Starbucks, the grocery store, right? How many times, maybe you experience this too, that you pull out your phone, right? Because you can't just sit there or stand there, sorry, quietly and just wait for the line to pass, right? We're like addicted to noise. And as disciples of Jesus and humans in general, no matter if you call yourself a Christian or not, we need to realize how to counter this, especially if it's stripping us of the core essential human ability to be present, right? Present with others, present with ourselves, present to what is going on at a deep soul level inside of us. That's what I realized back in 2017. I wasn't even present enough to my own self to realize that I was dealing with anxiety at a deep level. More and more people are becoming aware of this in our culture and the dangers that we face living in a digital age. Uh, one writer who's an atheist by the name of Andrew Sullivan, he writes this article in the New York Mag. And uh, I love this title. Okay, listen to this title. It's really long. He says, I used to be a human being. An endless bombardment of news and gossip and images has rendered us manic information addicts. It broke me. It might break you too. Not a very succinct title, but uh, catchy, right? Like it definitely intrigued my attention. But here is an excerpt from this article, right? Really quick. He writes, But just as modern street lighting has slowly blotted the stars from the visible skies, so too have cars and planes and factories and flickering digital screens combined to rob us of silence that was previously regarded as integral to the health of the human imagination. He writes, this changes us. It slowly removes, without our even noticing it, the very spaces where we can gain a footing in our minds and our souls that is not captive to constant pressure or desires or duties. And the smartphone, he says, has all but banished them. Thoreau issued this germiad against those pressures more than a century ago in his journal when he wrote, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discovered that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear. This is what at, is at stake for all of us in the room this morning. To not actually live this life that we're given. We're establishing here at PKC that to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, is trying to live a life like Jesus lived. And do you notice in the Gospels, if you follow the life of Jesus, he didn't deal with or suffer from worry or anxiety, right? And so as followers of Jesus, in order to live a life like Jesus lived, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. As we see even here in verse 35, like in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of the busyness of his life, what does he do? He sneaks away to a solitary place, right? After a marathon day of starting his ministry, right? This is where his ministry is kicking off. He's preaching. He's recruiting his first disciples. He's healing people. What does he do? Jesus gets some rest. He gets some sleep. He gets up before everybody and he sneaks off to a solitary place. 
Another translation calls it a desolate place here in verse 35. The Greek word being used here is aremos, and really what it means is the wilderness or a lonely place. It's trying to communicate to me and you that there's nothing around him. There's no one around him. Jesus is there by himself. This is what solitude is. It's choosing to be alone, choosing not to interact with others, to dwell in an experience of isolation, to be alone with our thoughts, with our feelings, with our emotions. And this is really important for you to get. This is different than loneliness. Loneliness is something that leads you to inner emptiness. But solitude is a place of inner fulfillment. With solitude comes silence, because as one Christian author uh, said, silence is the way to make solitude a reality. Silence is closing off ourselves from sounds, those sounds can be anything, noise, music, words. And the thing to note is, none of us have experienced total silence, right? As I said, we live in a noisy world, and sometimes silence can be very jarring to us, right? Have you ever been in uh, like a recording studio or a room where it's like really soundproof? Like there was this one room uh, at the school here in Surrey, it's uh, Pacific Academy, and their band room has like this recording studio. And we were writing youth there uh, one time, and I didn't realize that this room was like sound treated and all that. So I went to go get a stand in this room, and all of a sudden, like everything went dead quiet, and I could really hear my heartbeat and my pulse. And I thought like there was something wrong with me. But then I quickly realized that I was in a soundproof room where they recorded vocals and instruments and stuff like that. But that's the thing about uh, silence. It can jar you. It can shock you. But this is what I want us to see here in the life and ministry of Jesus. Because I know what some of you are thinking, right? I'm too busy to carve out times of solitude and silence, right? I'm a mom and I have tons of kids running around. There's no way that I can get a moment of silence. But here's the thing that I want us to realize, okay? As I said, following a super productive start to his ministry, right? Healing people, casting out demons, calling disciples, uh, extremely busy time, tons of opportunity, his popularity is growing. Jesus reacts very differently than me and you when his schedule gets full, right? Because I'm not sure about you, but the first thing to go when it comes to me getting busy is my quiet time, my one-on-one time with Jesus, right? But for him, if you read the Gospels, the busier he gets, the more he sought times of solitude and silence, times of prayer, times of communion with his Father. This is the Son of of God we are talking about that saw this daily practices as something that he could not go without. So how much more than when we get busy, do we need to embrace this practice in our own lives, right? In this practice, what he is doing is he's reorientating himself to what he is called to do. He's reorientating himself to what God put him on this earth to do, his mission here on this earth. That's why this practice is so important to him. Because first and foremost, what it does is it helps him stay in tune with the Spirit of God. 
It helps him stay in tune with God's presence with him, empowering him to accomplish what he does here. And here's the thing. When it comes to the anxiety that we face, God's presence is something that helps us also. It's in God's presence that we realize the freedom that we have to experience peace, knowing that we're not dealing with whatever we're dealing with by ourselves. Dallas Willard, when uh, talking about this uh, practice, he was a professor at USC. He says it like this, okay? The normal cause of day-to-day human interactions, this is what happens when we practice silence and solitude. He says, uh, the normal cause of day-to-day human interactions locks us in patterns of feeling, thought, and action that are geared to a world set against God. But nothing but solitude can allow the development of a freedom from the ingrained behaviors that hinder our integration into God's order. They align us. They reorientate us. These times that we practice silence and solitude not only help us sense God's presence with us, but also help us experience his love for us. The value that we have, the worth that we have as sons as daughters. That's what I experienced in this moment of solitude when I was just sitting there understanding who God was in relation to me in this moment, that there was no earning in this relationship, that I work out of a place of approval because of everything that Jesus has done for me on my behalf, that my identity is hidden in Christ, that he loves me unconditionally. Because what is silence and solitude, right? But just sitting there, by yourself, not doing anything. A lot of the times when I enter into this practice, I'm simply just repeating in my head a phrase, be it, uh, you are the vine and I am the branch, or Abba, Father. Something that centers me around who God is in relation to me. But I'm doing nothing. And the beauty of doing nothing is that's grace. You're experiencing grace. You're experiencing something that you can't earn, right? Something that you don't deserve. That's what you're doing in that moment. You're you're not doing anything, yet God is uh, pouring out his love into your heart. He's reminding you of your identity. And this is important for me and for us because it allows us to be truly who we were made to be. Allowing us to stand up when people try to manipulate you Our culture tries to bend you in a certain way so that you don't crumble when anxiety comes or worry comes or uh, the things that you have to deal with living in a fallen world. It keeps us from caring what people think about us in a healthy way. It keeps us from falling into the temptation and anxiety of people-pleasing because we realize who we are, what our value is, and that the one true God looks down on us and says that you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter in those moments in whom I'm well pleased. Here's the temptation we all face, right? We face the temptation with just going with the flow of life, going with the flow of culture, adopting a purpose or a way to live your life that's more in sync with the people and the culture and the neighborhood and the family network that you're in 
versus the way that God wants you to live your life. How do I know that? Because even the people around Jesus were trying to mold and shape him in a way. Like if you go back to verse 36 and 37, it reads that, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Simon, also known as Peter, and some of the other disciples are, are seeking out Jesus, pursuing him. Why? In order to capitalize on the popularity that he's enjoying in this moment. See, Israelite, Israel was waiting for a Messiah to come and free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And after all these signs, the healing, the casting out of demons, people are getting amped up. People are like, hey, Jesus, this guy could be the one. That's why they're looking for him. They want to use him for their advantage. And listen, whenever Mark uses this phrase, looking for, or another translation, it says seeking, it usually carries with it uh, negative connotations. A better way to understand uh, this word is means that they're trying to determine and control Jesus rather than submit and follow him. They're trying to use him for their own advantages. Jesus, knowing this, knowing the motives of the crowd were wrong because clamoring crowds are not a sign of success to Jesus. Jesus knows that this is actually an obstacle to his ministry instead of an aid. So he retreats to solitude to reorientate himself so that he could come back in verse 38 and answer like this. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. That is what I came. That, that is why I came out. He knew what he was put on earth to do and he was focused on it. And I want us to see this pattern, okay? In solitude and silence, he was strengthened so that when obstacles came his way to derail him or make him stumble, he was able to keep the course because of the time spent with his father. That's what this practice does. This is what I'm trying to reiterate to get into our minds. When it comes to solace, silence and solitude, it's a means of grace for us. It's a means of grace that allows us not to allow sin to get in the way of us following Jesus that comes into our life to, to cause us to stumble, to cause us to miss the mark, to cause us to go off course. And of course, there's forgiveness and grace when we repent, but God shows us grace when we do sin, but he also gives us grace before we do sin. And silence and solitude is one of those means of grace so we don't have to fall into sin. Because here's the thing, we don't have the power within ourselves to defeat sin. And at the same time, we don't have the power within ourselves to defeat anxiety and worry in our lives. Oftentimes, anxiety can come up in our lives in a way that we don't even realize what is lurking around the corner. See, what I found so interesting about this 1 Peter 5 passage is that first, in the context of this verse, cast all your cares upon Jesus, cast all your anxiety upon him. What he talks about first is actually pride. Going back a couple of verses, I'm just going to read it for you quickly. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, the thing about anxiety and worry in our lives 
the type of anxiety that we choose to go down that path that we choose to carry in our lives because we choose to worry about those things that I just mentioned earlier. What can be lurking behind that is pride. Pride is mentioned here because a lot of, a lot of the times when we're dealing with anxiety, when we're dealing with worry, we're choosing not to get help. We're choosing not to take it to God, to lay it before him, to cast it on him, as Peter says. Anxiety oftentimes is built up when we feel like we don't have control also, right, as of our lives. Because everything is spinning out of control, we start feeling this building sense of anxiety within us. And we understand uh, that we can't control things. But what do we tend to do, right? We seek to control things. We seek to figure out ways that we can bring order to our lives. The human mind is always busy trying to control things, trying to figure out things, clinging to the latest idea to figure out how to thrive in this life. And if we realize that this is the path that anxiety and worry takes us, what we all are going to be tempted to is be tempted towards sin. Tempted toward what Adam and Eve struggled with in the garden, right? Taking control into their own hands. This is what I love to do. Anytime I'm worrying, anytime I, uh, I'm dealing with anxiety in my life, my wife always uh, calls me on this. She's like, Ben, you can't fix this. Stop trying to fix this. Fixing it is a way of me trying to get control of the situation. I don't like asking for help. And this is the problem with control in our hearts, right? It's a pride issue. And we get stuck in this endless loop of anxiety as we don't ask for help, as we seek to get more and more control and realize we don't have it. Again, this is what happened in the garden. Why? Because Adam and Eve did not trust God. They did not trust that he had things under control. So what did they try to do? They tried to take control into their own hands. They tried to become like God. They sinned by trying to take his place, by trying to take control. And ever since then, we can get caught up in this cycle. This cycle that led them to sin that eventually led them to this, into the cycle of trying to move back to paradise, back to this place of peace, back to this, this tranquil experience of being in a relationship with God. The only place where true peace can be found. But here's the beauty of the gospel. God, knowing that no matter how much we tried to get control over our lives, how much we tried in our own power to deal with sin, knew that we couldn't do anything in our own power, in our own accord to save ourselves. So he sent Jesus to live a perfect life in our place, to die on the cross for our sins, to come back to life on the third day, resurrected, giving us power over sin and death when we repent and give our lives to him so that when it comes to anxiety and worry in our lives, we don't have to deal with it ourselves. We could give it over to him. We could take on his presence and the power that comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of us, empowering us to live this life according to his perfect will for us. That when we believe that God did this for us, right? 
when we believe this at a deep heart level, it's easy to do what Peter is calling us to do, to cast our anxiety on him, right? Because we need to realize when we're dealing with anxiety and worry in our lives, what we are doing is anxiety that we're facing in our lives is what we're doing as followers of Jesus is, is we're refusing to see how much God loves us. We're refusing to see the beauty of the gospel, what he did for us. See, Peter is saying all of this in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus did. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because if he died on the cross for you, of course he cares for whatever that little worry is, whatever that anxiety you're dealing with. Be it your health, the loss of the job, whatever those things I mentioned, of course he cares for you. So in those moments of silence and solitude, what we do is we bring those worries, we bring those anxieties for him, to him. And this is what we're doing, okay? In silence and solitude, as you sit there doing nothing, you're saying with your heart, mind, body, and soul, God, you're in control. I'm not. God, you are in control. I am not. One of uh, the favorite Psalms that I've read here before is Psalm 4610. It says, be still and know that I'm God. When we practice silence and solitude, what we're doing is stilling our minds. In the Hebrew language, this word, uh, be still is really literally means let go of your grip. Let go of your grip. Let go of your grip of for control. Let go of your grip of your own understanding. Cease striving at the level of human effort. Let go of your grip. God is a good father. He knows what's best for you. He knows what he's called you to do. He knows how to lead you. And in silence and solitude, you reorientate, reorientate yourself to that good news. So we're going to sing a couple songs, but here's the application for you this morning, okay? I encourage you this week, if you're dealing with anxiety and worry, to try this practice of silence and solitude for 10 minutes. That's how I started, okay? And this is what it looked like for me, okay? I have four kids running around, so I put earplugs in. I find a closet or my office. I have now these canceling headphones on. I put a timer on my watch, and it's for 10 minutes, and I just sit there. Sometimes I need to empty out my mind and my to-do list, and I write things down in my journal just to get my head clear. But what I like to do is I just concentrate on a specific verse or even just a specific idea about who God is, that he's a good father. And I just sit there and I repeat that phrase in my mind as I sit there, excuse me, in silence and solitude. And what I do in those moments as I'm reflecting on that, I realize what Paul talks about in the latter half of Philippians 4, happens he says 
In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And he says this in verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And here's the crazy thing about those 10 minutes. By the end of those 10 minutes, without a doubt, something has shifted in me. I experienced this peace that passes all understanding. My situation might not have changed. I might not have got an answer to that prayer, but something inside of me shifts towards peace. So that's my challenge for you this week. And a great verse that you can reflect on, that you can write down, that you can read every morning this week is Matthew 6. 25 to 34. It's Jesus's words to us, calling us not to worry. 